Do you want to run further and faster and recover quicker and easier? Do you want to feel healthier than you've ever felt before? You need to make a change, and that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses its patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you with a concrete, science-backed, trackable action plan for reaching your performance goals and being your healthy best. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering the ultimate prize package giveaway exclusive for my listeners of More Than Running. One lucky winner will get over $1,500 in Inside Tracker value. To enter, just go to insidetracker.com slash Dana, because change is an inside job. Welcome back to More Than Running with Dana Giordano. I'm your host, Dana, and this is a Sidious Mag podcast. This week's guest is Taylor Tracy. Taylor played volleyball at UNC, so it's definitely a little different than what we've been talking about with running being the center of this podcast. But Taylor is extremely relevant because she fully represents the more in what we do. Taylor started a nonprofit called the Virago Project, and she shares mental health resources for all women athletes. And it's something that I stumbled across on Instagram and had to just, I just love the post so much and I really wanted to know who was behind it. And the conversation Taylor and I had, we both graduated the same year in 2016 from college and we had a lot of very similar experiences. And Taylor and her team are trying to create a world where women athletes are able to talk about their mental health, are able to reach out for help, are able to talk about body image issues and so many other things. I've greatly enjoyed following Virago on social media and we talk about the plans for the project in the future, which might include some retreats and fun things like that. This episode focuses on Taylor's journey and how she created. So it's just a fun, a fun conversation about what you can create out of nothing if it's something you truly believe in. Without further ado, welcome Taylor. Welcome back to More Than Running with Dana Giordano. I'm here with a very special guest, Taylor Tracy. Taylor will introduce herself, but how I discovered her was through the Virago Project, which I definitely butchered the pronunciation of, and I will have to edit that part. Uh, Virago. Is that right, Taylor? Yes. Virago. It means a female warrior. And that is, I practiced several times before I started recording. But it's a very important mission. Taylor is a mental health advocate, according to her own Instagram bio, a women's empowerer, a speaker, and the co-founder of this project. So, Taylor, what else do you have to add to that? Um, well, <laughs> there's a lot uh, to me, but I think that's a good um, brief overall statement um, that encompasses most of what I do. So. So we are actually the same age and attended the NCAA at the same time from 2012 to 2016, which I thought was a great thing that we had in common. I ran track and cross country at Dartmouth and you played volleyball at UNC. Is that correct? Yeah. I did not know that we were in the same uh, same academic year. So that's awesome. 
Yeah. And I think it's, that's a great place to start because a lot of the resources that you are providing through your project were things that absolutely were not talked about when I attended college. Right. Yeah. Same here, which is why, which really is why the whole thing sprouted. It's just, I mean, I feel like there are so many more mental health resources, like more than running podcasts, the Virago Project. There's so many different organizations popping up all over social media that want to draw attention to the mental health challenges that athletes face. But four or five years ago, that definitely wasn't a conversation being had, and it certainly was not one that was being uh, showcased on social media. So um, I'm happy we're doing it now. Wish that we had done it sooner. Absolutely. So let's go back to the start of your story. In order to play any sport at the Division One level, I don't know as much about volleyball coming from the track world. It takes a lot of getting recruited, getting to that level. So let's start with your personal experience at UNC. Yeah, so I had known that I was going to go to UNC for quite a while. Um, I was the first to commit in my graduating class. Um, so I committed when I was uh, a sophomore in high school. So I had known for several years before even making it to Carolina that that's where I would be headed. Um, a lot of the time I'm asked about, you know, the recruiting process and all of that. And um, for me, it was pretty short lived. Um, I know that it can be absolute hell for a lot of athletes. And I feel very, very fortunate that it wasn't for me. Um, it wasn't like that at all. Um, but I did have, um, when it's all said and done, a really great experience at Carolina. I had the best coaches. Um, I had what most would consider a pretty successful career there, um, two ACC champions, two, two ACC championships, um, and um, some, you know, top 10 appearances, an elite eight uh, appearance, a sweet 16 appearance. Um, I did some stuff with USA Volleyball. So yeah, I got a lot of, out of that experience and um, really, really glad I went the Carolina path. Getting recruited as a sophomore, is that that's traditional within volleyball space? Um, so I think that the recruiting process starts really, really young. Um, I know for a lot of um, like power five teams, um, they recruit they recruit and try to have verbal commitments like the earlier, the better. I think that's their philosophy. Um, because of course there's just such competition to rack up the recruiting classes, like as, you know, to make them the best as possible, um, before anyone else in your conference does. Um, so yeah, a lot of the other women in my class, um, or volleyball players in my class, like they, re they committed, um, you know, late sophomore, early junior year. Um, so that was standard, but the more volleyball players I talk to, I know that that's not really, it's not, it's not really like a tradition. You have mm -hmm. a lot of athletes who are making it to their senior years, um, without knowing where they're going to go. And there's definitely pressure in that. Um, again, feel grateful that I didn't have to do that, but I, I don't think that committing super early when you're 16, 17 years old is a, um, is, you know, like a luxury that everyone has. Mm -hmm. So you had this very 
successful experience at UNC where you had athletic success, you had a strong academic program. What happens after graduation for you? Yeah, so after graduation, I went straight over to Finland and played a season of volleyball um, with a professional league there in Kusumo, Finland, actually, which is the northern part of Finland. Um, It was cold as hell and absolutely beautiful at the same time. Um, The snow was thick and um, maybe- Sounds dark. Yeah, it was pretty dark, but you're a New Englander, or at least have some familiarity with that um, being, you know, having absolutely. Dartmouth. So, um, you know, it might have been a little bit more extreme than uh, your college experience, but, you know, I learned to love the snow um, and kind of be okay with the darkness because that was my first time really being on my own. I graduated college and was like immediately in another country, which was really cool for me, even if it was the North Pole, like actually it was. <laughs> did you see hours. any reindeer? Oh yes, I did. We went to a reindeer farm one day and I was telling my boyfriend the story the other day, actually that like, he, he asked me because it's been cold here in Washington, DC. He was like, what is the coldest you've ever been? And it was that day at the reindeer farm. I was so cold. I thought I was going to throw up. <laughs> like it was Whoa. serious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved Finland. Um, we did pretty well. We got third overall in the country, um, which made us qualify for um, some like foreign tournaments um, the year afterward after that. But I didn't renew my contract because I was struggling with my mental health. I had an eating disorder that needed to be addressed. And um, ultimately it was just, you know, the feelings of being burnt out and mentally tired that um, pushed me into a premature retirement from volleyball. So kind of a bummer, but you know, that's life. Yeah. Were those issues that you had previously dealt with in college or were they exacerbated by being very distant from friends and family in a new situation? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the issues definitely started popping up for me around college. Um, I feel like it was around the age of like 22, 23, um, kind of when you're towards the end of your college career and realizing like, oh, I'm going into the real world. Like I need to um, really figure out who I am, what I'm about, what I want to do, because I'm not going to live in this like perfect college bubble where like basically my coaches are my parents and like my teammates are my siblings and like, you know, everything's just kind of taken care of for me. Um, That's kind of when the issue started bubbling up for me, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of like inward reflection, which um, was really, really uncomfortable and, uh, kind of spiraled into a depression. Um, at the time that was something that I, I didn't recognize that was even going on. I didn't have the language to, or the knowledge to, um, to be like, Oh, like I'm experiencing symptoms of depression right now. Or like, Oh, like my, uh, behaviors and thoughts towards food are disordered. Like, I had my mental health literacy was like below the bar, <laughs> like mm. all bars. Again, it was not something that was ever talked about. 
Um, so I, I, to answer your question, this is long winded, but it started in college um, and just kind of progressed throughout my professional career. I think these are issues too that, as you said, you didn't have the proper vocabulary to fully understand it, is that we're so, as female athletes, we're so used to being tough and gritty and kind of moving through everything that it sometimes is very hard to recognize when something is a true issue versus just a challenge because mm-hmm. being a female athlete, it's it's a challenge within itself. And you're already fighting against so many social norms to get where you are that I think that I totally, I completely resonate with you saying that you didn't see those signs because you were so close to it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you also just don't know what you don't know. And like, you don't know how to ask questions about things that you've never been introduced to. Um, and things that are just normalized, you know, in athletics. So yeah, we are close to it. And like, you know, you would see other girls looking back now, I think about it, like, I'll look back on some of the exchanges I had with other women athletes at Carolina, other teammates. Um, And I can, I mean, I wouldn't jump to a diagnosis, but I would be like, there are a few instances where I can say like, oh, that girl was definitely going through something. Um, And I just thought it was normal. And like, there were so many other athletes who were probably in the same boat and like we just thought it was normal and didn't really think twice about it or really even know how to approach it if we did have any further thoughts on it. So, yeah. Well, I definitely want to get to the project, but before we get there, I kind of want to talk about what happens after volleyball. So you leave this professional team. Is there a sense of identity loss for you and what do you do next? Yeah, so – I was preparing to go to grad school um, before the season ended, before my professional career ended. So I was applying to different schools in England, um, also talking to their volleyball coaches to see if I could get some scholarship money. Um, And by the end of the season, I knew that that was my path. I was like, I'm a person who has to have a plan. Um, I've gotten better about it now that I'm older, um, trying not to micromanage every single aspect of my life. But back then, there was no way that I would have like quit my professional career without knowing what was next. Um, so I got into grad school and then I knew that that was kind of like a backup. And um, I waited a few months before accepting um, and like fully enrolling into the program. Um, in England. But yeah, I did that in 2017. Um, Went over there for about a year and a half. I studied events management and entrepreneurship and um, had a really interesting experience. It was good. I learned a lot, but also being away from home, um, being in a dark, rainy place. And again, being in this transition period um, really, really made me, once again, I got so deep into my thoughts and feelings, which isn't a bad thing, but also um, also really, really caused me to like grow. Um, and that's kind of where I found, um, came up with the idea for the Virago Project too, it was when I was in England, so. Yeah, lots of self-reflection, lots of growth, 
lots of tears, but also lots of friends and good times and learning. I definitely, those first couple years out of college are very confusing. I, I've talked about this on this podcast before, but I went into the workforce immediately after college before transitioning back to the professional space. So the opposite of you. Mm-hmm. And that kind of time of I had these things that I was supposed to do every single day and now I don't have to do them anymore. Right. feels very disorienting where your life is kind of surrounded by like a schedule. You're on the road every other week and then you just don't have to be and you feel very anxious. And I remember those first two years out of school just being like very unsettled. And in a way, I would just look around at my peers who had, you know, were graduating and living in a city and everyone seemed a lot calmer than me. And I was like, what is different about me that everyone else seems to be having a good time here and I'm so unsettled? Yeah. But, you know, normally that's a facade (laughs) because, I mean, what 23, 24-year-old who's straight out of college, like, really has it all together? Instagram, social media tells one story. And I fell into that trap, too, like, comparing my life to everyone and thinking, like, oh, my gosh, like, this person got a new job in New York City. And, like, I just finished grad school and think I want to start my Mm -hmm. own nonprofit and, like, think I want to maybe work for a nonprofit to get some experience, but like they're clearly thriving here at like their brunch and whatever. And it's just like, you know what? The comparison, it is just, it's hard to shut it out. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially after you had spent like four years with those people. Um, So I'm sure you were doing just fine. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was more of, I was like, everyone just seems very blissful. I'm sure they have their own concerns, but at that time you're very into yourself as well and Mm -hmm. not really thinking about the other person's shoes. So what made you jump off to start this project though? Because a project is, it's, this is a big task here. You are starting something from scratch and I think it's pretty remarkable what you guys have created and you kicked off in January 2018. So what did the process look like into kicking off Arago? Oh, well, it was quite the process. Um, So yeah, January 18th, I'm on a beach in southern England, in Bournemouth, England. Um, That sounds cold. Yeah, it was really cold. And it was also during Christmas break, which over there, their Christmas breaks are long as hell. Um, It was like a five-week thing, and I decided not to go home for Christmas break. So that was just terrible because I basically spent five weeks alone. And hey, the solidarity um, in that time, I came up with a great idea, but it was slightly miserable. But never mind that. I was on a A precursor to quarantine. Yeah, exactly. I was so prepared for this. Um, So on a beach, came up with the idea, and um immediately became obsessed with it so as an event planner i was thinking like okay we're gonna have mental health retreats for only for women athletes um and we're gonna bring like sports psychologists and like nutritionists over and like we're gonna meet all over the world like this is gonna be fantastic and um yeah that didn't happen right away and it still hasn't happened because I think, you know, when you when you have an idea, like some people can just jump on it, get right to action, 
whatever for me like I wanted the idea to be absolutely perfect have like the perfect plan in place which really delayed the process um, of you know starting what the thing that you see today and um, it definitely changed in the way like like the business plan changed multiple times. So it went from events and then it went to a blog and then it was all for women athletes and then it was for all women. And then it went back to women athletes. Um, and you know, the amount of work that I put into the project who fluctuated over the years between 2018 and now, um, because after grad school, I had to get a job, right? Like Mm -hmm. I had to pay my bills. Um, and, figure out my life and move and do other things. Um, so yeah, it took quite a while. And then, um, we incorporated as an LLC back in 2019. And I kind of did that on my own, just off of a whim, not really knowing what I wanted to accomplish out of that. Um, especially living here in DC and I started the blog, built the website, um, and just put some things out there. And then after having some conversations with um, compliance officers at UNC and um, the student athlete development director at my alma mater as well, um, we decided to reincorporate, um, but this time as a nonprofit so that we could have more relations with um, college athletes, um, NCAA athletes in particular um, and yeah so that's where we are today um everything we do is to help women athletes um kind of balance their athletic performance with their mental health and um it's been good we host workshops virtual events right now because pandemic won't allow in-person events um we love to post on social media educational things inspirational things um and yeah, we're just we're just trying to build a network of support for athletes of all ages and at all levels. For the project, is this now your full time job? Currently, yes, it is. Um, I am right now searching for full time work, though, just because the pandemic has been rough, um, and because we can't host any virtual events right now or sorry, in-person events right now and everything's virtual. Um, it's just been kind of a hit to our nonprofits, like just mm-hmm. the money that we're, we're bringing in. Um, we have a really strong team of interns. We have a strong advisory board. We have, you know, a strong staff. And we've grown to a point where we don't really need to be working on this thing like, eight hours a day, every, every single day for it to, um, you know, maintain where it's at and grow. Um, so yeah, I'm looking to move more into sports media and just kind of, you know, build my network, um, gain some new skills, um, and, you know, find some work that is enjoyable, but also, you know, teaches me things that I can transfer over to the Virago project. doesn't mean the Virago project's going away. It just means, you know, I'm, I'm going on a, on another journey. Yeah. I think it just goes to show how multidimensional you are. You know, it's when you are, when you were in college, you had school and sports and that feels like a very supportive balance because the identity is in both, you know, you're a student athlete and I think the NCAA for all of their flaws, they definitely say you're a student first and then 
the athlete second. That's what they always told us at Dartmouth. And you have this very secure identity in that. And I found that through this podcast, I've been much more secure in my identity as a female athlete of contributing back to the community. And I don't know, is that something that you feel will be the what the Virago Project means to you is that it is kind of supporting your identity of giving back to the community? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and, you know, being being an athlete, that, that will always be a strong part of my identity. Like, I feel like I relate most closely to other athletes. Like, anytime I see an athlete, even just walking down the street, I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, like, we get each other. We have shared experiences, whatever. So I love the athletic community. I love the women's sport community and always want to be giving back to it. And the Virago Project has definitely given me a strong sense of um, purpose. And, um, you know, with every step we take um, forward, I, I just feel even more motivated to continue to invest in the project and continue to invest back in the community. Um, but, you know, there are other parts of my identity that I want to explore. And I think that you can relate to that as well. The question that I normally get, and I wonder if you get it as well, is have you considered coaching? And I think that that goes to us wanting to support other women in sports. And is that something that you've been asked? Yeah. I mean, I feel like every athlete's been asked that, right? Like, Pretty um, much. It's like, oh, what would you do next? Coach, obviously. You're like, mm, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But definitely, I mean, so I've coached club volleyball. Um, and honestly, like, it's just not for me. Um, I'm, I'm not a great coach. Um, I don't like traveling to tournaments and games on the weekend for someone who really, really loves to support, um, athletes. I don't really, I mean, I don't really enjoy watching sports all the time. Like I'm not a sports fanatic, which, um, might sound a little bit, you know, counterintuitive, especially, you know, considering what I do, but I don't know, like I, I you just want to play. You don't want to watch. Like, exactly. Exactly. Like I love to play. I love talking to athletes and like supporting them and helping them. But like, I don't want to watch sports all day, every day. That's not my personality. I think that my time is much better spent doing other things. Um, so that's just me. I don't think I'll ever, you know, be pursuing like a, a serious coaching career if I do it. I mean, I can see myself doing it for fun, like, you know, later in life, maybe peewee volleyball or something. But even then I'll probably, I, like, I just also get really impatient. So I don't even want to put myself in a situation where I like say something to an athlete that like totally contradicts the messaging that I put out there because I'm so damn competitive too. So I think you might be me reincarnated into you because I've said those exact same things. I was like, yeah, I don't think I'd be the best coach because I might be a little too intense. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. The athletes um, don't deserve that. They don't need another coach yelling down their throats. So. Yeah, I coach middle school and high school. And I think that's a great level because you can give basic skills and kind of more con conceptual things. But once it gets to the intense D1 level, I think it's a whole new game. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so you spoke to kind of women ex-athletes and what is this target audience? Is it high school? Is it mostly college? There's a lot of identity um, posts on the social media about life after sport. 
do you guys um, target all women athletes or is it just a small subset? Um, or does that not matter to you at all? You kind of want it to apply to everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to produce content that kind of relates to everyone um, or all like athletes at all levels and all stages of their career. Um, but somehow we've done that. I think that the Virago project is for every single athlete, um, maybe with the exception of like young girl athletes, um, just because our content doesn't really touch on that. Um, but I would say the, the heavier focus for us is definitely college and former athletes or so recently retired athletes. Um, trying to help them, you know, get help, mental, uh, get connected with mental health professionals. And then also for the former athletes, um, trying to help them through the transition um, and refinding themselves and figuring out, okay, what's my new path? What does that look like? How can I embrace, um, you know, this new life that's in front of me? Because that's hard, as we mentioned, you know, previously mm -hmm. in our conversation. Do you guys partner with any specific mental health professionals? How does that work? I mean, I think people ask me all the time. I work with a sports psychologist, but, you know, we got connected very serendipitously as a friend, and that's definitely not a therapist. So what is that root of, okay, I'm struggling, I need to get help? I know that you guys have a lot of resources on your website, but if you're an athlete that's listening to this podcast and you want to get help, what are those steps that you would recommend? Um, yeah. So there are a lot of different steps you can take. Um, therapy is a great step. Um, and it's a great, it's a great tool to explore. Um, one of the sports counselors we just talked to a few weeks ago, Leah Howard, um, recommended this website called open path collective. .org, um, so www.openpathcollective.org, um, and it's basically a nonprofit organization that provides um, accessible teletherapy um, and even in-person counseling and ther therapy sessions um, within your region. So they'll list a ton of different counselors and psychologists, and you know you can you can apply different filters in it um, to find someone that is in your area and, you know, suits whatever needs you have. Um, and I believe the website, if you want access to their counselors, it's like a $59 lifetime membership. So it's just one time you pay that. And then for every therapy session you go into, it's $30, like flat fee. So all things considered, $59 for like access to thousands of therapists um, wherever you are in the world is pretty, pretty good. Like that's a pretty good insurance plan. Um, and it's especially accessible for like athletes um, who are, you know, maybe playing abroad and they don't have a counselor or therapist through like whatever team they're playing with or for college athletes who maybe don't want to go into campus psychological um, and counseling services because they're afraid of being seen or whatever it may be. So that's a really good resource that we were recently introduced to. Um, 
And I mean, another resource that's just at the tips of everyone's hands are the people that you trust. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just just talk to a friend um, that you trust. Talk to a family member that you trust. If you trust trust your coaches, um, you know, I believe nine out of 10, nine times out of 10, like your coach is going to want to hear your concerns and, you know, they're going to be patient listeners and very, very supportive. So, you know, don't, don't underestimate the power of community either. That's so great to hear for a lot of our listeners and hopefully they'll be able to share that. Um, Just having those people around you, I completely agree that you're not you don't know what people are going to say until you say it. So you don't know how they're going to respond. Right. Yeah, exactly. So reach out. No shame in it either. When you guys – this is something I wanted to ask you. When you brainstorm what to post on your social media, I'm specifically referring to your Instagram because I find that your posts are just so shareable and so relatable. What does that process look like for you guys as a team – brainstorming what to post, getting the resources that align with what you post, and then kind of looking out for um, people that align with your mission? Yeah. So, well, first off, it it does take a lot of time, which has been, um, it's it's fun to make that kind of content. Love it. It takes a lot of time because you have to think of the idea and then you have to, you know, make make it in the graphic design software that you use. And then you, you know, have to find supporting evidence for whatever you're saying and you have to cite it. And then you have to post it at the right time with the right colors. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. all of this stuff, you have to think about shareability and all of that. Um, But we now have um, social media interns who literally started last week. And I'm so excited that they are on our team now because, you know, these are college athletes um, mm-hmm. and like recently retired college athletes who really, really understand our messaging. And, you know, the post that we posted something last night um, from one of our interns, Emma, she made she made this awesome graphic about um about experiencing anxiety during practice and not during games and you know in the past we've talked we've talked a lot about like performance anxiety as it relates to competition and like game days but we had never really thought about it before practice and she brought this really good point um and piece of information to um our feed and like it totally blew up like it was great and um you know, the message resonated with a lot of athletes. So uh, we definitely have help now, which is awesome. But yeah, I mean, I think we just like really rely on our experiences, the things that we've struggled with, and then um, ask ourselves like, okay, like, how can we, how can we take this experience, um, find some either some like research um, to explain and put words to it or find some kind of like empowering or inspirational messaging um, to add some context to it and put it out there in a way that's going to help the athletes. So they don't just see, you know, the topic that, you know, we want to touch on, but they can also take something away and like learn something from the post. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where the ideas come from, and um, you know the process. 
no, I definitely see the work that goes into it. And I think that there is, it's very easy to share something on social media and not, things are shared all the time that don't have factual resources behind them. So it's, it's very encouraging seeing your page and just kind of the work that you guys put into it. What are some of the most popular posts? What are the topics that really resonate with people? I, for me personally, I find the identity piece is really important. And I mean, everything is important, but just more of that's for me as well. But for you guys, as far as like performance on your page and what people are desiring more information about, are there some things that every time you post about X topic, it always does really well? Yeah. Um, so the body confidence and body image stuff always does really, really well. Um, you know, and on one hand, like, that's great that we can produce that content that, you know, a lot of people, um, that reaches a lot of people and a lot of people engage with, um, because we know that, you know, whatever we put out there, it's backed in science, um, and that it's good information. But on the other hand, there's, you know, the fact that, it reaches a lot of people because a lot of people need help with it, um, which Mm -hmm. isn't so good. Um, But the body confidence and body image stuff always does well. Any kind of eating disorder awareness or eating disorder educational pieces we put out there does well. Um, Identity usually does well as too, like you mentioned. Um, Yeah, I would say those are the top, those are the top two sort of topics that we touch on that, you know, um, reach the most people and receive the most engagement. Yeah, I definitely feel like in the past few years, since we graduated college, that the conversation of body image and relative athlete deficiency syndrome, Mm -hmm. thankfully, have been at least been talked about more. I still think that there's a large education gap for younger athletes before Mm -hmm. entering college to know about those things. But I have seen some progress there. Has there been anything since you've attended college that you've been positively surprised about the progress that's been made? Yeah, I would, I would touch on the mental or sorry, the menstrual health, um, the menstrual health education. I feel like a lot more college women athletes are really, you know, trying to understand their hormones and their menstrual cycles. Um, and you know, they're, they're getting to a point where it's, um, it's becoming normal, you know, to, you know, ask questions if you're missing a period or like if your period is, um, dysfunctional or if, or if it's irregular, you know, or, um, if anything's going wrong in that area, because we know that, um, you know, a lot of the time with athletes, if they're experiencing menstrual dysfunction, it's, it's um, because of low energy availability. Um, so I really like that um, that topic is, you know, kind of being spread about in the social media world and people are wanting to find more information on it. Um, another topic that I love that's being talked about more is just about women athletes equality and just touching on kind of the gender disparities that exist between men and women. Um, I feel like that is a topic that not a lot of people wanted to touch in the last five years or so. Um, but I see a lot more women using their platforms to advocate for, um, different, different issues, um, related to that topic. So that's been really promising to see. 
that's definitely right up my alley as well. I think that with the Olympics being postponed as well and a lot of Olympic sports realizing that, you know, we can't wait every four years to have female athletes in the spotlight. This needs to be more consistent. The media time needs to be more consistent. The stories are there. We just need to tell them. Yeah, yeah, which <laughs> still waiting on that <laughs> to really take off. Um, I mean, I some sport networks have done a little bit better, I think, with or maybe it's just because of COVID and like I'm home so I can watch the WNBA more than I normally would or different women's um, sports teams. But yeah, I think that there still needs to be so, so much more work to be done. And the fact that, you know, it takes an Olympics um, to, and I mean, I'm so glad that there's, you know, a lot of coverage on women athletes at the Olympics, but the fact that it's the Olympics that we have to wait for just to see these athletes, like that's kind of, um, just disheartening and telling of, you know, just how broad (laughs) that disparity is um, when it comes to sports media. Yeah, I think one of the most frustrating things for me is that this conversation of, oh, the demand isn't there. And you're like, well, we have to start somewhere. We have to allow that opportunity. I think the WNBA really, like you said, did a very good job of proving that the demand is there. You just have to give the airtime, you know, so you have to take that risk. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you come up with the name Virago? It means a woman of masculine strength or spirit, a female warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or a bad-tempered, domineering woman. That was another. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that reminds me of like nasty woman. Exactly. Yeah. Which we've had people, you know, DM us and say like, hey, do you do you know what Virago means? And we always reply like, yes, we know about like all three different um, <laughs> different definitions it's had over the years. But uh, the word is an ancient Hellenistic word. And originally, it's my understanding that it was used to describe a, a woman warrior, a female warrior. Um, so that's why we chose that's why I chose that word. Um, I really liked it because I think that, um, you know, that's exactly what female athletes are and women athletes are like we're warriors and, um, you know, we can be warriors in our sport and we can also be warriors, um, with our health, physical and mental. So that's kind of where it came about. I really appreciate knowing that backstory. I think it gives, I love that you guys own all the definitions of it. You know, it's not just stay in your lane, but that strength comes from a place of, you know, we're unsatisfied. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's so many different ways you can interpret it and look into it. I actually like that you said nasty woman because it's so true. I mean, like we, we definitely love to talk about, and again, we just had this conversation, but just about like all of the catching up that women athletes need to do and all of the support that different organizations, large organizations, and just the athletic world itself um, needs to give women athletes. So, hey, if we have to be nasty about it and shove it in your face until we get what we want, then so be it. I will, um, I'll claim that title as well. <laughs> and I love it. My, uh, my college slogan, which I need to bring back, but was run ugly you know, Mm -hmm. of those post-race, I don't know if volleyball is the same thing. I'm sure you can get caught at a weird angle, but kind of the post-race images where your face looks like they're melting and your arms are doing weird things, but you're trying your absolute hardest. Yeah. And to me, Run Ugly represents this, the reason why I owned it so much. It represents, you know, 
I do not care what I look like. I'm mm-hmm. doing something that is powerful. And I just think that we need to get a little bit closer to that because I just I have a lot of conversations with my fellow professional running colleagues. And, you know, there is a sense of, oh, that person looks a certain way. So they're receiving more opportunities. And I really hope in I'm not going to say my lifetime because that's too long in the <laughs> next couple of years that we really change the way that sponsorship looks for women athletes that is less appearance based. Oh, yeah. And the sad thing is, is that it totally, totally is, right? Which is, and I mean, just historically, well, not even, well, historically, yes, but especially in the age of social media, we look at like the athletes who are receiving the most endorsements and like brand sponsorships and brand deals and stuff. You know, it's always the cute, it's always the cute white girl with blonde hair, blue eyes. And not only is there, um, you know, this expectation of like an athlete has to be beautiful, but there's also a lot of just like racial undertones and messaging mm-hmm. that comes out whenever brands are, um, you know, finding athlete, women athletes to sponsor. And, um, you know, there's a whole conversation that can have a can be had about that as well. So yeah, I definitely sense there's a huge level of tokenism of, oh, we have this one person. Of mm-hmm. course, we're diverse. It's like, no, that is one person that yeah. does not qualify the, yeah, as you mm-hmm. said, a massive conversation. Yeah, it's a massive conversation. We would be on this, we'd be on this podcast for like another an hour and a half if we went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, I love going down those rabbit holes with, um, the burn it the, the uh, host oh burn it down pod burn it all down gosh love it love it love it they are so good and they've been teaching me I so much about Title Nine and I think in a way that I didn't fully understand yeah. the legislation and what it means and I'm still learning but I love those women um, for anyone listening burn it down it is a feminist sports podcast where I think it's about five women come and talk about certain topics and then they my favorite part is they throw things on the burn pile every week so they take things that they dislike in the news about women's sports and they burn it and I think it just gets me going every time I'm glad to know that you listen to that too yes I love it was listening to it this morning hoping that they were going to say something about the NFL and just the musical performances but I think I'm gonna have to wait till next week so (laughs) they haven't said anything yet yeah. Well, you know, we should have a burn it down listening party one day. Definitely. I'd be so down for that. <laughs> well, Taylor, I only have a few remaining questions for you because this has just been so, so much fun just to learn about your backstory and the project and kind of your mission for it. Mm-hmm. What does the next five years of the Rago project look like to you? I know that you want to transition to kind of a different space and have this be this is not going away. This is going to continue to grow. But what does it look like? Are you guys targeting more speaking within the NCAA? Are you trying to become much larger than you are? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, eventually the ideal would be for the Virago Project to be everyone's on our team full-time job and we're able to you know, support ourselves doing what we love every single day. And I I believe that we'll get there one day. Um, But for now, um, just kind of scaling at our own pace. So we have a few programs, um, like our peer mentorship program, we're working on that's piloted at my alma mater that we are um, kind of tweaking, it just finished up at 16 weeks, we're tweaking, and then we're going to be 
um, offering to other college campuses. So that's a good program and kind of the first big one that we're really pushing out um, to provide emotional support for college-aged women athletes. Um, after that, I would love to set up some teletherapy um, networks and opportunities for professional athletes abroad. That's a, another project that is just budding right now. It's, um, you know, we're looking for partners and um, sponsorships and things like that. Um, we have a career planning program for young athletes, young women athletes that's just starting to bud. So, you know, we're kind of just, you know, exploring different programs, trying to do good and just taking it day by day. Five years from now, hopefully COVID will be over with. Oh my gosh. If it's not over in five years. (laughs) Yeah. Well, five years from now, hopefully COVID will be gone and vast, like gone and dead, dead and gone. That's what I was looking for. And, um, you know, I'll be able to go back to my original idea of bringing together sports women in a retreat setting and having different therapists and psychologists and yoga people and um, just just having a huge fun event that's like focused on mental health, well-being, um, and kind of connecting with like-minded sports women. So that is the ultimate goal. Um, COVID is in the way. We're just going to stay patient. Um, and again, just like go at our own pace for now. I can't wait to attend. I think that sounds like a brilliant place to get women from different sports and kind of cross over outside of their own individual bubbles to meet together. And I think that's something that could be very beneficial for all women athletes. Yeah. Thank you. Let's um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and you know, we're, we're going to keep, keep chugging until we get there. Well, if you're a sponsor listening to this podcast, Virago project is open for, you know, we all need the support to bring mental health awareness and kind of just elevate women athletes and, we need to do it together. So thank you, Taylor, for being on the More Than Running podcast. I've greatly enjoyed our time here and I hope to meet you in the future. Yeah. Thank you, Dana. This has been great. And I can't wait to listen and I will be listening to more um, of your podcast in the future. And yeah, really happy we did this. That does it for another episode of More Than Running with Dana. This episode was produced by Chris Chavez. You can contact me with any feedback, suggestions for guests, or just to connect and say hi at Dana underscore G-I-O on Instagram at Dana Geo. I love hearing from listeners and receive some great guidance on guests and what you want to get out of the show in the future. If you like the show, it's always greatly appreciated if you leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps some new people discover the show if it ends up on the top charts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time with another story about how she is more than running. I only want a few close friends. The rest just pretend. Alternate people kissing in the stairwell. I want this day to end. Text my mama so I don't lose hope. Didn't learn anything I didn't know Always yelling, get off your phone Screw that, I'm going home Did you hear that? Nah, I'ma take a zero Just call